Welcome to the Mindful Medicine Podcast. I, Juliana Zapatel, will be your host, bringing in experts to discuss a holistic approach to well-being using Eastern philosophy and Western research. Today, I welcome Tenny Dean, a mindfulness and meditation teacher currently working at the Modern Elder Academy. My name's Teddy Dean. Um, I'm a mindfulness teacher here at the Modern Elder Academy in Baja, Mexico. I would love to um, go through a short meditation with you just to kind of give an idea for mm-hmm. people of your style of teaching and, and where this comes from. I usually meditate with my eyes softly closed. Um, but if you like your eyes half open, half closed, that's perfectly fine too. Um, I'm in a chair. I usually have my feet flat on the floor and just my hands on my thighs. And my approach really has to do with coming back to the body, meaning to recognize that we all have this awareness and that we can kind of lay our attention upon this awareness to experience this body in its whole totality, the wholeness of being in a body and not just experience it from our conditioned mind. So each and every time that I take my seat, I bring it back almost like kind of scanning through the body with this awareness experiencing all aspects of the body itself, the feeling tone, the felt sense, and once once I've landed a bit, We start to see that there are readily available resources within this body to help me drop a little more deeply. And one is to just simply ground myself. So to recognize that this body has a weight and a density to it. And I experience that because I feel the ground beneath me. I feel myself planted upon the chair. I experience the ground supporting me. And I start to contemplate for a moment, the relationship between this body and the ground beneath me, but really the relationship between this body and the earth itself. So to start to move into something where I'm experiencing the support that's being offered at any given moment, the support of the earth itself and how reliable that can be. That I am conscious, I am within this body, this body has a weight to it, and I can take a moment and stop and to experience this relationship of the earth really offering itself to me 
in a sense, holding me and not only supporting me, but providing everything I need to keep myself sustained while I'm here experiencing this life, meaning the air I breathe, the water I drink, the food I eat, I start to see that that is just naturally provided by the earth itself. And when I start to realize this, I start to experience a bit of a simplification in my life. I really start to see on a different level that my needs are met and that my needs are usually almost at any given moment in this life have always been met. And what happens here is this allows me to drop in just a little more deeply and to start to lay this awareness upon the breath itself. And the breath, this phenomena that just comes out of nowhere, the breath just happening on its own, the body breathing, but when we start to place our awareness upon the breath, we start to experience the gentle ebb and flow of this body breathing. And we start to experience the natural nurturing qualities that the breath can offer at any given moment by just placing our attention upon the in-breath as the in-breath, the out-breath as the out-breath. And as I start to contemplate maybe the in-breath as the in-breath, this kind of compassionate nature of that in-breath, passing the lips and over the tongue and into my body, the life force, this body expanding for a moment. And then the out-breath, the form of an exhale, this wholehearted action of this body simply telling me to let go into the next moment to let go into the next moment. This reminder that space is always available and it's in that letting go where we start to experience a bit of spaciousness. The compassionate nature of that in-breath again, expanding throughout the body, nourishing this body and again, that out-breath. This exhale, this kind of wholehearted surrender into the next moment, allowing ourselves to, to come back to something a bit more natural, maybe not so defined, full of potential, but really spacious and unconditioned. And lastly, when I get to this point, I really see that my thoughts are much like my breath in a way, that they really do come out of nowhere 
Some days there might be a lot of thoughts coming and going. Some days I'm right in the pocket where the mind is quiet, more in line with my body. But the beauty of this practice, the beauty of, of just simply coming back to the body for information and not always having to go to the mind for information, I start to see that I really truly have a choice. I really truly have a choice as to what I want to attach to. And that the more I don't attach to any of these coming and going of thoughts, the more I start to experience a sense of contentment and maybe a little bit of peace. And if I do start to experience a little bit of peace, this restful awareness, I might ask myself what a lot of this would feel like. So I continue to come back with a full sense of curiosity, a sense of wonderment, a sense of engagement. And whatever I might be feeling. And I meet it gently. I meet it gently. It's a simple practice very simple practice. We don't need to make it any more than what it really is. It's just simply sitting with oneself and seeing that we do have the resources built in within each and every one of us to come back to some sort of stillness. And that we don't always have to continually react to the world around us. We bring our hands to prayer in front of the heart center. May all beings find their own natural rhythm. May all beings continue to recognize this underlying layer of joy to this life. May all beings drop into grace. May all beings be free of suffering. And again, for all of us to simply have some time and space just for ourselves to come back to that place of wisdom that we all have within us, to soak within its wisdom, to really quiet yourself enough so that you hear the whispers of this wisdom and to let it guide you and then to go back out into your normal day-to-day -day life, a little more awake, a little more available, a lot more aware of our actions. And we take this wisdom, we offer it back out into the world in the way that we live our lives. Namaste. I really felt that. It was um, like some of these concepts of surrendering and meeting with uh, compassion and curiosity are things I've spent like hours discussing in a training. And then you put it in such simple terms to just feel it. And it, it resonated very deeply in that way. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
my practice really and the way I lead most of the times has a continual four components to it, you know, recognizing the body, the weight of the body, the support of the earth and the breath. Mm-hmm. And then I go from there and I never, I don't plan too much ever, but those four components will always be a theme in it, you know, and um I feel like there it's, I don't know, in the Zen tradition, they talk about jumping off into the deep end, you know, there's not really any shallow water wading you in. It's like, you just, you're just kind of thrown into the mix of, of, of a, a, a practice that's very ritualized and, um, and very different than mindfulness, you know, um, but I like the idea of not always knowing where I'm going, because in fact, I don't really always know where, you know, who knows where they're going. And I like the spontaneity of it because so much can sound a little bit formulated. And this, this life of ours is really one of spontaneity and one of like wonderment and these small miracles that are always happening that we usually miss or we just take for granted. Do you feel like your personal meditation practice helps to inform your teaching in some ways too? Yeah, of course I'm not, I don't listen to anything. I don't listen to any guided things. I don't have any meditation apps. Um, I'm all for them but I, I myself don't have it. I, myself, I sit and I just sit in silence. Um, here at MEA, I lead morning meditation every day, but I'm always, I do my, I sit about 20 minutes and I do that before I even get to, um, get down here to the campus. We sit out on a platform in front of the ocean. So it's pretty nice. Um, definitely it's nice because we're in the elements. So And this environment, you know, I want to, I just always want to be available for who is here, depending on, and most of the people that do come through here at the Modern Elder Academy, like a lot of people in modern culture, just haven't been in their body in a while, or haven't been in their body in the elements, you know, um, and maybe not really out in nature that much, you know. So here, um, we're kind of immersed in it. There's a lot of talking about being aware of the body and just landing with experiencing, you know, the wholeness of this and just recognizing that, you know, that we all have this wisdom built in within us, call it a sixth sense or call it our intuition, but having that time and space to actually listen to it. For us, it's a little bit easier to find space for stillness just because we've created that as kind of a, a career and a lifestyle, but, um, you know, what do you offer to these people that come here and don't normally don't get much time in their bodies and they have to go back to their day-to-day lives and then they are kind of lost again and then don't have that time for stillness. It's almost in the words that we say to ourselves, you know, for instance, uh, so much of our value is placed on how busy we are, right? And day-to-day lives, this is a good example of it because I'm even still guilty of it. Um, but back when I was living more in, in an urban setting, you, you run into an old friend and it's like, Hey, what's up? And the first thing we say is, 
oh my God, I'm so like roll our eyes and oh my God, I'm so busy. Mm -hmm. And we, most of the time we just say it. And yes, we might be busy, but then also we say it, sometimes we might not be that busy. You know, like just think like if you saw an old friend and you saw that, you know, like, hey, what's up with you? And they're just like, I'm just been kind of resting in stillness lately. You know, we're like, what do you mean? Like, you know, like, just think about that. You know, it's like, because I've been able to say that to people um, over the last few years, you know, and there is times when I'm just like, no, I'm slammed, I'm busy, you know, but like, but I'm not, I'm very like, I watch the words that I'm using in a way, you know, and it's funny when I, when I am able to express myself and say, I haven't really been doing much, I'm kind of resting in stillness, restful awareness. I've been sitting a lot and it's like, and especially the doers, you know, are just like, what do you mean? Like, what do you, you know, like, what do you, you know, like, well, I've been, I've cultivated a lot of time and space where I can just sit and be, I can just be, you know. Um, do you feel like that's a little bit easier to do in Baja compared to some of the fast paced stuff happening near like the Bay Area? Yeah, um, it definitely is easier. There's not as much access to um, to things as in an urban setting here. But um, the thing is, is, you know, that's the best excuse. And I get that a lot from people here. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to go back and I don't have this beautiful environment to do it, you know, or I don't have this beautiful setting. And that's already right there. It's already your mind working on you to blow it off. You know, it's already the mind already doing its little thing. Cause really this practice in a way is really for us to, to start to understand like our habit energies, the way we think, you know, the way where our mind goes when we start to feel uncomfortable. The other excuse is like, well, I don't do that because I think too much, you know, and it's like, well, we all think a lot. How much power are you going to give your thoughts? Michael Stone, a wonderful teacher um, who's not with us anymore, you know, talks about mindfulness. It's not necessarily this fixed, stilled, like concentrative practice. You know, we can be mindful when we're thinking into the future. I'm mindfully thinking into the future. We need to think in the future. We need to um, plan, you know, we want to set goals. We want to set intentions. We, we future think, we think there, we just don't want to live there. We want to be aware that we're doing that. And this, in the same respect, uh, retros, retrospective mindfulness, the like thinking about the past. Sometimes we need to revisit something, you know, to deal with something that's, that we're dealing with now, but we don't want to live in the past. We know people who live in the past. You know, we know people that are like, you know, they're unwilling to experience the present moment experience because they like the way it used to be, you know, the environment or something. It could be something having to do with change. And um, so this thing of mindfulness being kind of fluid a flux and flow and a, and a practice of really engagement and at the end of the day really a practice of generosity you know of what we of what we 
of what we give our attention to, you know, and what could be more important than just present moment, really, um, because it's really all we got. And as soon as we realize we have it, it's gone. So it's fluid, you know, it's, it's kind of alive. It's always changing. Mm -hmm. I really like that definition of fluid. I think a lot of people get turned off by this idea that they need to sit in stillness and just feel peace and bliss. And that's the only way to be mindful. And it's just really not realistic or even productive. I think this is very important to me. I should like really focus on like just three points of what is, this is probably one of the highest parts of like my own practice is I just do it and I don't expect really much out of it. If you can frame it, this is the way I get people to start a regular practice. I'm like, you get up and you take a shower and you wash this body every day. You know, you brush this, brush your teeth, do stuff, put lotion on, you know, um, you take care of this body in certain ways. And what about the mind? You know, what about the mind? Can we weave a little bit of like, you know, I think Joseph Goldstein coined this of, a, of mental hygiene. You know, can you set aside five, 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day to just kind of check in and to kind of see what's going on and not just enter the day unaware of the anxiety that you're holding or the grief that you're holding, or maybe you wake up and you're just like, it's an underlying layer of melancholia, you know? So just kind of checking in, it's like, oh, today or anger, this is a good one because it's like, wow, I'm like something we're dealing with. It's like waking up and we do our practice and it gives us an opportunity to see where we're at. And it's like, we can see the anger and we can kind of work with it a little bit so that we enter the day. It doesn't mean it's gonna go away, but we can at least be aware of it in the sense that we don't unleash that anger on, you know, who usually gets it is, is somebody close to us. So important to realize that these kind of moments that are just for ourselves, time and space just for ourselves to just check in and our practice, because we do practice not only for ourselves, but we practice for our friends and family, our colleagues, and we practice for the world at large. I don't know if you've had this where you come across somebody who has a, a very consistent, regular practice. And when you're hanging out with them, you just realize that they don't really need to say much. Yeah. It's just not, you know, it's a, tra it's a, tr a, it's a instant transmission of heart on a felt sense, body to body, where you're like, just being with them gives you answers almost, mm -hmm. you know? Definitely noticed um, some of my favorite teachers, like less is more with their words. Sure. They say yeah. fewer things, but it's, it's very profound. It's very well thought through. It's definitely an incredible effect of this practice. I like this idea you brought up of holding space too for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes that's not always... It's, it's talked about, but not always explained for people. And, you know, people not in this community, in this world, they don't always know what that means. Yeah. Um, I'd love to kind of hear from your perspective what that looks like. If, if you're having a day of anger, how do you, 
you know, have some space for that to appear, but not let it overtake your life and your relationships. Yeah, I think just, you know, that's the beauty of having this practice because we get to see how we're entering the day. So we can be aware of it. If we're just getting up and it's like coffee, phone, little social media, the email that gives us a trigger again, and we're out into the world and like it's, we're already like, we're ahead of ourselves. Um, so we're just unaware. If we see right at the beginning of the day or in the evening, you know, whatever, whatever is more comfortable, when we see like, on the felt sense, what's in, what's going on inside of us, what we're carrying, um, that's the opportunity where you can start to change it, you know. And it always comes back. It comes back to the same thing of self love. You know, you you know the Buddha talked about the three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion. Uh, we see it played out all over the world every day, every moment. But um, we need to certainly remember that that's all that that is being thrown at us but when in fact really um qualities of the heart are being expressed constantly that we don't always hear about there are people of immense uh service to others that are leaving us leading a selfless life and caring for others and helping others and uh um sacrificing in a way to be of service to others. So when we are carrying these things, we, you know, you want to continue to loop an anger thing in you and continue to charge this body and poison, literally poison yourself by releasing, the, you know, all these like uh, stress hormones like cortisol. It's not only unpleasant for the people around you, it's unpleasant and harmful to yourself can we develop the capacity to love ourselves the same way we love a family member or a partner or a pet it's almost like how in the world are you even really supposed to love somebody else if you don't love yourself was there a specific point in your personal journey where you felt you became a little more gentler towards yourself and you started to cultivate some of this. Yeah, that's an interesting part of my life because I became I became pretty soft in a way to a point where I got in a couple situations where I was really kind of taken advantage of in a way. I had to really kind of check myself, you know, this practice is not about just letting people roll over you, you know, compassion practice really is not about that. It's also about sticking up for yourself. You know, it's also about making boundaries. Um, it's also about saying goodbye to people, places, and things that maybe you've outgrown because it's not that you don't love them anymore. It's just that you can't do it anymore with them to do what you really want to do. It's like that thing that I talk about and you mentioned in your notes, the constant state of becoming. You gotta become what you want, what, you're, what you feel you need to become. And so I think it's important, this practice is not about just 
letting people take advantage of you or people to, to disrespect you, but it, but it really gives you the, the, the skills to, to deal with it in a way where you're not just reacting. I'm curious for at least what I've noticed through my teachings and people I've met, there seems to be a lack of men in the room of mindfulness of yoga. Yeah. You know, coming from some societal expectations of men not being allowed to show up for themselves or feel certain emotions. And I'm I'm curious if that's played out in your journey with this experience as well and in how you've grappled with that. It is um, difficult you know, for a lot of men to express themselves in a culture that has maybe that they've grown up in that told them that um, it's not appropriate, you know. We're seeing that change in a lot of levels, um, but um, it is, you know, even here at Modern Elder Academy where we tackle all transitions in midlife, which there's many, and uh, you know, even our, our demographic here is like kind of 60, 40, 70, 30, um, with the latter being, you know, less men. Mm -hmm. And it is something, but I also see the transformation happen fairly quickly. Um, and I see men become extremely vulnerable quickly here. As long as you're in the, the right setting, I've seen it over and over where, um, where it just, you know, it's just like blurted out fast and quick, you know, and I'm just like, wow, that's like, they've been wanting to say this for a long time, you know, and that's the, you know, the sharing of one's heart in our normal culture. You know, we have these moments where we're like, oh, I'm going to share, I'm going to share my heart here. I'm going to share something a bit personal or a bit deep. And a lot of times what we'll do is the ego will jump in, block it pass it off as a silly notion. Don't say that. Don't show your cards. Don't show what could be perceived as weakness, you know, um, and we don't, but I've seen the exact opposite here at Modern Elder with men, you know, um, it's really needed. What we carry is, uh, is, and it comes out in health issues, you know, high blood pressure, heart issues, I think looked over to in Western culture to a degree that the mind and body are separate entities and we yeah. have to treat them separately when, when they actually work very closely together. Yeah. Um, I know you got to run soon, but uh, is there mm -hmm. anything that you'd like to share before we end this today? Any resources maybe people can look at to learn more about you? I love beginners. I love coming across people that are just saying there's no way they could meditate, you know, um, and as long as they just entertain the idea that possibly they could, you know, um, I think they'd be very surprised that each and every one of us is capable. And it's, and really stillness. I'm talking about stillness. I'm not talking about, I meditate when I run or I meditate when I surf or I meditate when I pet my cat. Those are all totally nice, but something about sitting still we are totally capable of doing that. And I think sitting in that discomfort in a world where everything is so comfortable these days, 
meditation, it's not easy. This isn't kid stuff, you know, and it's not about comfort. It's not about really happiness. Um, these are all, these can be byproducts of a, of a, of a good meditation practice, but it's not about that. It's really more about sitting in our own discomfort and, um, seeing that we don't have to react, that we can sit steadfast and let all phenomena come and go freely and that we have the capability to just simply sit like a mountain and, and just let and weather the change. And it's in that where, um, where the magic happens after that, you know. It's it's I love seeing all the ice bath jumping in and and hot sauna and like stuff like it's good to experience these um, things of discomfort. I, that's kind of where I'm getting drawn to these days. These practices of of where I'm not comfortable, you know, where I'm not manipulating my environment immediately because I'm not happy with it. Of being like, well, I am kind of cold. I'm going to stay cold. I'm going to be curious about this coldness. I'm going to be you know, um, so I guess my message is that, you know, when you're saying there's no way I could meditate, it's just your mind telling you that you can't do something because we can all um, learn to meditate. And I don't want to alienate anybody who has a deep faith, too. I had a, a, a vice president at Cliff Bar that I worked with for a couple of years, and he gave me two of my best kind of compliments, the first being a uh, after a, a gentle yoga practice, he was like, he's in his fifties. He was like, I, uh, I just realized I've never breathed right. <laughs> and all he was really telling me was like, that he's always been a shallow breather. What he was really telling me was that he's never realized that he could, um, he could change it the way he breathes, you know, that he has actually control over this, that he could do a few nice belly breaths and breathe more naturally. And then about a year later, he shared with me, I didn't know it, he shared with me his devout Christian faith. And he told me uh, his mindfulness practice allowed him to pray better. And I thought that was beautiful. And what he was really telling me there is that he was praying with his whole body now, and not just kind of like, like this, you know, it was the whole body was thrown into prayer. That is beautiful. I feel like that opens the doors for people because a lot of people associate mindfulness that it has to be an Eastern religious practice, but yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it can, it can be used for everyone. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. So, it's wonderful chatting. I love, it's nice to just chat about this practice. You know, I have so much respect for it. I feel like it's not only, you know, saving my life is kind of a big term, but it's given me a life, you know, it's given yeah. me a life, reacquainted me with the simple pleasures of life, you know. I do a Sunday Zoom sit um, every Sunday, 4 p.m. Pacific time, and you can find that on my Facebook page, Teddy Dean.